What is up, everybody? It's Dr. Joe Camerato here with the Golden Nuggets podcast. I wanted to take a quick second to tell you guys about our six-week mentorship across the continuum. We are going to be doing our very best to teach clinicians the ins and outs of writing programming, of pain and injury, of making behavior changes, lifestyle modifications, and of teaching the lifts. If you have trouble with any of that stuff, go ahead and go to at across the continuum on Instagram or at dr.joe.dpt. That's my own personal Instagram and shoot me a message or just click on the link in bio. I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. I really know that I did. What is up, everybody? It is Dr. Joe Camerata, and we are coming off of hiatus for a brief moment with the Golden Nuggets podcast. I have here Ryan Smith, Technical Sergeant Ryan Smith, uh, who is embedded with the Special Warfare Pipeline at Medina Air Force Base in San Antonio. And uh, I just thought that it would be really cool to pick his brain and see what the other side of the the human form can do and, you know, what they go through to get ready for, I guess, the things that we don't really think about too often. And so um, I don't, I I know a little bit about the military, but I just wanted to kind of, I guess, learn for myself a lot of this stuff. And so he, he agreed to stop lifting and and stop getting tattoos to come and uh, talk to me about, (laughs) about, uh, high-speed, low-drag operators. So, uh, uh, Ryan, what's up, man? Not a whole lot, man. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, definitely holding me in high regard with the company that you have interviewed so far, so I'll try not to let anybody down. Sure. Uh, like Joe said, uh, Ryan Smith, Techno Sergeant E6 in the Air Force, currently working as a physical therapy assistant within the Special Warfare Pipeline. Joe and I, we go way back to A1C Ryan Smith when he, and he was an intern back when he was, you know, scraping and taping and manipulating all of his patients. <laughs> Snapping <laughs> necks and cashing checks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we didn't know any better. All right. We didn't know any better. That's the whiskey so I'm going to use. But yeah, so we go way back when Joe was an intern. I was an A1C, uh, kept in touch throughout the entire time. And uh, he's definitely been uh, a godsend in my career, uh, staring, staring, hopefully PT school in the face. Uh, looking to hear back from Army Baylor here soon, and hopefully I can snag a slot and yeah. cross over the dark side as an officer. The uh, the Army Baylor program is held in very high regard. It's uh, extremely competitive, and um, the I mean the only person that I know that's gone through it is like one of the scarier PTs that I've worked with in the past. Uh, and so I hope he's doing all right. But uh, I uh, you know it would be really cool to to get you in there because I do think that as as somebody in your position going from a prior enlisted to an officer and, and even a DBT would be fantastic for that career field. And so um, I, I want to lay a foundation here first for all of the non-military folks out there. Um, currently I work for the military and I, and this is my fourth go around doing so um, with the air force at least, which is kind of partially why we're on hiatus from the golden nuggets podcast. Cause I barely have time to, you know, put my, put my shoes on in the morning. Um, but uh, you know, I, I've, worked with the air force for a while now, but, um, I just want to lay a foundation for those people so that we can be on the same page when, when people are listening. So what exactly do you do and what is it that happens? I guess, like what is a special warfare pipeline? So 
<clears throat> special warfare pipeline it's we'll we'll skip the whole pre-session talking to your recruiter telling you you can do anything you set your mind to um i'm sure you guys will hear that don't worry you will uh so special warfare pipeline we've we've been working at it for about four years now for the newest iteration it used to be a special war or i guess uh, indoctrination course and there's the tac p or the tactical air control party uh, but the special warfare pipeline, we, we start with basic training. So while you're at basic training for the Air Force, we run the strength and conditioning program in the mornings. Uh, myself and, and the coaches that I work with try to put together the best program we can to get you guys prepared or get whoever it is hopefuls prepared for the past. It's the uh, physical abilities stamina test. And if you, like I said, if you are going to go through it, you'll know what that is. It's a swim, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, and a run. Um those that passed that initial exam move on into special warfare preparatory course or now SWIC special warfare candidate course um, where they tackle seven weeks of basically just training like they eat they sleep they work out and then they work on the skills that they're going to need to go through assessment and selection uh, or onto the TACP uh, initial training course so assessment and selection uh, that's a 16-day course can't really dive into it too much but basically it's testing you mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, uh, it's, it's going to break you down and you're literally going to contemplate why it is you chose to do that in your life. And you just got to listen to that little voice in the back of your head that says, nah, man, you could do this. You'll be fine. Cause you're not going to be fine. Um, TAC P, uh, tactical air control party, those guys, they, they move immediately into their three level training to learn how to work with the army, uh, mostly conventional army, and then drop bombs, to put it plainly, not to offend any of my TACP buddies out there, but, you know, for time's sake, that's what they do. Um, and so there, there's actually, when I, when I think of, I think when most people think of that, like, special warfare, they think of, like, operators, right? Which I guess is, like, that's the end goal of all this stuff, to, to go through this pipeline, is to become somebody who does that cool stuff that they make movies about right exactly yeah so the the pipeline altogether is about two to three years if you include all the schools that they have to go through so they'll go ans they'll have pre-dive which is here at uh, lackland air force base they go to dive school down in panama they'll have military free fall which is out in yuma um they'll do sear usually up in washington uh that's the uh uh what is it survive escape something evade i should know that but i don't but That's it's right. like their it's their survival school, right? <laughs> so they'll go to Seer, um, and then after Seer, or it's it's kind of a jumbled up mess. Whoever they can send or airborne, TACP goes to airborne, which is like the static line, uh, jumping out of planes. Um, after they've completed those courses, uh, PJs will remain at Lackland for their paramedics course, in which after the completion, uh, they sit for the national exam, and then they'll go to PJU which is at Kirtland Air Force Base. And that's where they're kind of get down and dirty with their, the skills required to perform in an austere environment. And then combat controllers, those are the guys there. Again, not to, you know, discount my, my buddies. Uh, they're kind of like that force multiplier for the special tactics teams. They usually, they only go to special tactics squadrons. So they're going to be working with like your tier one, your tier two guys, your green berets, seals. They'll attach to them as a, so it's called a JTAC, which is a Joint Terminal Attack Controller. And those are the guys that will control airspace and uh, utilize Air Force ordnance as they see fit and, you know, legally can do so. Um, 
So they will go to most of a lot of their skills training is at Pope Air Force Base in North Carolina. And then SR, same thing. They'll go to Pope and just kind of branch off and do their own thing. And then TACP will actually remain here. Tactical Air Control Party, uh, they, they attach to conventional army, uh, either uh, airborne armor, infantry units. Um, and they are also a JTAC, as I'd mentioned earlier, but for, oh, and Rangers, sorry. And then they also have special tactics, TACPs. They go everywhere. There's their operators, they operate. Um, and they will also operate as uh, JTACs like the controllers will, but just a little bit different mission set. Yeah. So, so we, we take like, basically, I want to say normal people, but they're not normal, right? People that want to get squeezed through that pipeline into that operator position, you take them, they, what, from my understanding, they enlist like a regular person. They just request to go through this special warfare pipeline. You basically for two years, try and make them not want to do that. And you are, if they do make that, then at the end, then they do all that cool stuff. But during that time, during that two, you said two and three years, two year, two year, a figurative pipeline that is not actually a pipeline, but I do think of it as a pipeline. Um, uh, that two year pipeline, you're basically following them to make sure that they don't explode quite literally during that time, whether that explosion be their bones or their, their joints or otherwise. Um, and so you're embedded with them, meaning that you're in the air force, but you are specifically with those special warfare guys or, or girls, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I work specifically with the candidates, um, you know, just out here bulletproofing knees and and lower backs (laughs) and as I explained, Um, as I explained earlier, I'm sorry. So, so I I'm, I'm curious, like what sort of, like, what does a day look like for tech sergeant Smith? Happy you asked. So, (laughs) What I do, so literally in a nutshell, my job is to take care of the students that get pulled from course due to injury. So uh, I would say, I mean, this is me spitballing, but I would say a, at least 90% of the injuries that I see are bone stress injuries incurred from uh, too much load too fast. Uh, we've kind of got it narrowed down to where if it's within, like I said, we, we do work with them within basic training. So if it's that first four weeks of basic training, it was something that had occurred or started before they came to us, just based on, on the algorithms we have and, and, the and the volumes that we work with, we've, I, I would definitely say we've got it down to a science as far as the programs that we give these guys. So if it's in that second four weeks, it was something that we did, which we really try to avoid. And we've done a good job of doing that too. We've definitely decreased, um, the occurrence of these, these bone stress injuries in students, especially throughout basic training. Um, so I will go and hang out with the basic training guys in the morning. Uh, we'll get them through their strength and conditioning, the instructors, you know, if they're messing something up, which they usually do, or they'll find something they're messing up on. I'll give them a little mini smoke session. It's not that bad. We usually tell them, like you said, you all volunteered to be here. You can quit anytime you want, but technically they can't (laughs) until after. Um, so we'll do strength and conditioning with them for about an hour and a half. After that, I head over to SWIC, uh, the SWIC building, um, and I will, I'll work with right now I'm working with, with our, our Delta flight, which is the, uh, injured students that have been pulled from course, as well as students who may have failed their past the first go around. So as you know, uh, not all 
I'm going to say trainers. I don't want to say strength coaches because they're not all strength coaches. Not all trainers are created equal, just like any other profession. So, you know, with that being said, some of these guys are not as prepared as they thought they were for, uh, for that initial past test. Um, and they don't, they don't make it for whatever reason. I honestly, I find that push-ups get most of the guys it's really yeah it's the it's it sucks like the push-ups they got to do are pretty rough and the the instructors are very what makes them rough just uh form like they're very strict about form so you can't a-frame at all in the two minutes that you do it it's being like your hip hips come up like hips come up that was a downward dog whatever they call it yeah yeah, i guess right i guess right so you can't do that yeah can't move your hands at all like your hands have to stay planted into the ground if you come off your hands, shake them out, whatever, boom, test terminated. You A-frame, test terminated. Uh, if you, if you, and then it's, let's say you perform one where, so basically your body has to be parallel, or I guess like straight line from head to shoulders to right. hips to toes. If your body's not in a straight line going up and down past 90 degree or two ninety degrees with your elbows, the rep doesn't count. Sure. So you'll see these guys crank out 60 pushups and they will maybe only count like 40 to 45. So it's just, it's rough. It's And then, yeah. So I think a lot of that might have to do with how they prepared to come in. Um, But it's, it is tough. It's a tough exam. Like they're, they're, they're not, they've been away from home for, for eight weeks. They, they, who knows how, how BMT went for them. They could be stressed out that day. You know what I mean? Like, there's just so many factors that could play. It's multifactorial. Their performance. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Who would have thought? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So it's just, you know, I mean, on, and it, if they fail one component, that's it. They fail the whole thing. So, so you could have a bad day in the pool. You could have a bad day on the pull-up bar. You could have a bad day with sit-ups. Doesn't matter. Like you could right. have a bad day with push-ups. You fail one component and you fail the whole thing. So you're at, you're at the Delta flight with the guys who get pulled. Mm-hmm. Um, then what? So with Delta flight, uh, we're pretty, pretty strict schedule, not strict schedule, but good schedule going on. So uh, they go to the pool in the morning from 530 to about 630. Uh, they work with our swim coaches. there, just getting them used to doing, uh, just, uh, surface swimming. They don't do anything underwater related. Um, so they do their surface swims to get ready for the past. Uh, they come to us. We'll do either, uh, conditioning on the track. So they'll do some running or we'll do alternate cardio to kind of decrease that overall load on their lower extremities. So, you know, the assault bike rower skier, whatever they can tolerate. And again, I got to modify for my, my busted guys. So those bone stress injury guys, you know, they might just be jamming it out on the ski erg, or if they can tolerate the assault bike, I'll get them on that. Um, and then after they have cardio, we'll get a little bit of a break. They'll snack, hydrate, switch, swap out their shoes. Um, and then we'll have our strength and conditioning session, which a lot of it is odd implement training. So you're looking at like kettlebell stuff, sandbags. We utilize TRX a lot. Um, and I hate, I hate getting pictures of your equipment. Like for your clinic, because yeah. I think the pictures that I've gotten in the past are like 106 pound kettlebells or yeah. like a row of eight concept two rowers or, yeah. you know, so, like the, yep. you know, 400 pound sandbag. It's just, it's, it's, uh, like every, our type of echo chamber PTs yeah. wet dream to be working in a clinic, like the stuff that you guys have. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I do feel quite blessed I, to have the <laughs> tools that I have. Um, so, you got, so you guys are are making modifications to their mm-hmm. strength and conditioning. Um, and so what, what? So they've done the 
uh, you've done the BMT, you've done the Delta Force, and you've done the uh, the the Delta Flight. You've done the cardio and then the strength and conditioning, and then mm-hmm. then what happens? So after that, we'll release those guys for lunch. Obviously, they got to eat. Got to let them. Got to let them refuel, right? Um, and that's usually my time to tackle any kind of admin work. We've got meetings, of course. You can't have an organization without meetings. Everybody loves those. Uh, we reconvene back about one o'clock. One o'clock, we'll go through. So. We don't like to use the word mobility just because it's such a, uh, a used term or, right. or utilize, heavily utilized. Let's use that. Uh, so we, we made up our own thing. We call it strength ability. So like it'll be a mix between. Uh, so a lot of these guys, like let's be honest, man, is, it's crazy, but very few of them can do a simple hip hinge, like a hip hinge. Sure. So like we'll, we'll try to emphasize posterior chain work, emphasize just knowing how to move well, not correctly, just well. Right. Uh, and then, uh, so we'll kind of work on some, we'll work on like their problem areas because some of these guys might not have good, just like movement mechanics, right? It's unfamiliar. So right. we'll, we'll go through, we call them cow sessions. Uh, and then uh, other days we'll do mobility, strength, ability stuff. Um, but usually the cow session is going to be to kind of test their, uh, test their motor, so to speak. So sure. during prep, these guys really don't get taxed a whole lot. Uh, during training now they have objective training at the end of the day where if they do something to upset the instructors or they mess up they'll pay for it so a majority of the time not really doing anything that's uh i don't really know what the word to use is not physically over strenuous but um, we try to do things that kind of push them to that limit or at least have them test their metal. Like, Hey, all right. So we'll give you like an AMRAP or we'll give you a chipper or we'll give you, uh, you know, uh, rounds for time or something like that. So something to where they can internally push themselves, but still, uh, do work that makes sense, not just right. do work for the sake of work. Sure. And then, uh, so after that's done, that's pretty much the end of my day. It starts early. My days start early and they end early ish, depending on what we do, which isn't bad. I prefer it because traffic in San Antonio is terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's really the day for, for me. And then, uh, my counterparts, uh, Sergeant Haas, Ben Haas, uh, and then, uh, Sergeant Valdivinos, Emily Valdivinos. Those are the three, or I guess those are my two, uh, those are my two rock stars. Uh, they hold it down over w dev which is completely different from what i do so those are the guys that have graduated from prep or or, sorry Mm -hmm. special warfare candidate course and they are going over to the chapman side chapman annex where they await selection assessment and selection or tac p so over there we have pretty much the same setup except we they are uh they're the what do we call them now we always change team names. It's really frustrating. But anyways, same thing. They Purple have a covers. flight over there. Yeah. Yeah. They have a flight over there full of injured students and they will take them through their walk to run progression, their uh, weight bearing progression with rucks. And then they will insert them back into the TAC P3 level course or, you know, give them another shot at ANS. Or these guys could even be done with ANS awaiting pre-dive. They could be done with pre-dive trying to go to uh, another school that's coming up. So th- that's kind of like the main hub for injured students. So anybody that gets injured at any point in time and they're still in student status or uh, staff and instructors as well uh, will go be seen at special warfare development. So that's kind of that, the, the, the cool pictures you saw with like all the racks and the, 
you know, the skiers and the concept yeah. that's special warfare development. Gotcha. So that's where that's like the main hub for human performance and the medical side of the house. Yeah. So, so all of the, all of the setup and different types of letters and acronyms and <laughs> like confusing things to say that the, you have, you definitely have a unique uh, career field that a lot of, uh, you know, like 99% of PTs just don't seem to have. And even, even myself working for the military, it's so different. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think to like the fitness testing, like everybody in the military has to do a yearly, at least fitness test if they're good at it. Right. right. Um, and for the most part, I see people who are coming in who just are not very good at preparing for that fitness test. They are like four weeks out and they're like, I'm just going to do pushups every half hour. And I'm going to get, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so for thinking about like spikes in training load, that's like the definition of it. Um, and then my job is to basically, you know, do it, do what PTs do, reassure, educate, try and modify training as best as possible or write them a profile, which is like, um, a waiver so that they don't have to do that part of it. But the different there, there's a stark difference between, my ability to do that. And I can put them on a 30, 60, 90 day, however long profile, I think that they need to refrain from doing that thing, which I try and avoid. And the the profiles that you guys put on your students, which I think is like, can be two days, I think, uh, before they get like removed from the pipeline altogether. Pretty wild. So uh, as far as, so like you're saying, the duty limiting waivers, the profiles, um, we, we typically will get, so our kind of hard line in the sand is missing two core start dates uh, or 60 days on profile. Yeah. So that's kind of our hard line in the sands for when we're starting to talk about uh, reclassif- uh, reclassification, sending students to, to big blue or the regular air force. Um, <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> big blue, uh, most of the time uh, w- when those guys get med pulled, medically pulled from course, they, they can come back. Uh, they, they usually it's like some guys have come back very fast and others, it's usually about a one to two year turnaround before they can uh, wow. try to retrain back into the career field. And I have actually, it's pretty crazy from when I started here to now, I've actually seen like a large handful of students come back through and be successful. So uh, honestly, like since I'm here saying it for those guys that do get medically reclassed, if you are listening to this, I doubt you are uh, don't, don't give up. Cause honestly, like the guy, the prior service guys, uh, they do great. Their selection rate is very high and sure, you just, think they're, that, they're more mature. They know what they're going through and, and having been exposed yeah. to that in the past, I'm right. sure that they know yeah. how to take a longer time to prepare for those things. Yeah. 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 But not to deviate away from the point, um, with those waivers. So, I mean, you, I mean, most of us kind of understand how bone stress injuries heal in the timelines that are required for it. So we still have to keep these. That's probably my biggest challenge is figuring out how to keep these students training, keep that workload capacity while still adhering to the bone stress injury. Cause if I push these guys too hard, which I mean, I'm the only one watching these guys. So I don't have a PT over like watching me. Uh, I've got a strength coach working, working with me, but they see me as a subject matter expert for these injuries. Um, I mean, if I, if I don't pay attention and mind my P's and Q's, I'll seriously injure these students and that falls on me. And then of course, because I'm a PT in the military, it falls under the license of the therapist. So that's the biggest challenge for me is making sure that I challenge these guys appropriately tax the energy systems that they need in course and try to keep them just try to try to minimize that gap between freshly out of rehab and then right back into training. Sure. Because I mean, it can be 
if I, if we don't do it right, it can be a huge gap. And then they go back in, occur the same loads and boom, right back on, on, you know, injury. So I think that's the biggest thing is really, we have about eight weeks between courses. So we've got eight weeks regardless of, I mean, usually grade threes and fours, we can pull them and keep them for, you know, that two course start date, but the ones in the twos, uh, most of the time they want to see them get back into course real quick. We've got better rapport and a, a, a better line of communication with the line side as far as, you know, cause we, I mean, we got to put butts in seats like they, they air force wants numbers. So we got to give them to them, but they do value our opinion as they should most of the time. Uh, as far as when students can go back into course and when we should really, you know, maybe pull the reins and, and let them miss this course start date so they can hit the next one, you know, at 90% instead of 65%. Cause I can promise you these dudes will never go into course at hundred percent ever. How do you mean? So it's, I think it's just the nature of the beast. So it's, it's, it's kind of a war of attrition is, is how, who can, who can, as bad as it, who can detrain this the slowest, right? Because sure. I mean, you know as well as I do when when you're when you're not give you're not given ample time for recovery, you're not going to recover. You're not going to get stronger. You're not going to get better. But it's it's who can mentally withstand that that day to day rigor. I don't want to say beat down, but just like rigor, and then who can almost just remain engaged in training and, and realize that that's their job. Like their only job here is to get through course and get selected. Right. These guys get trained by the best coach, literally like some of the best coaches in the world. Like these dudes have their, they've coached at the NFL, like professional NFL MLB. They've been in hockey. These guys have been at top tier universities. Um, same with the strength, the swim coaches, the run coaches, like the entire coaching staff. Um, they're definitely world-class. And then as far as the medical professionals I work with between the athletic trainers, um, the PTs, the OTs, the sports med docs, like they're all like top notch. So yeah, sometimes, it's, it's, it, sometimes it feels like the whole air force revolves around like these guys, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You would think. And then I, and then I step outside my bubble, I go to Wilford hall or wherever. They're just like, where do you work? Yeah, right. Like, oh, right. <laughs> Literally nobody knows about this. Right. Yeah. They're just like, they're like, oh yeah, is that Viper Clinic? I'm like, nah, man, it's it's grown, it's blown up. That was like six, seven years ago. Um, so so like going back on, I guess washing out and um like bone stress injuries. Uh, tell me, tell me about the type of person that can sustain this type of training like tell me about the the types of people that come through and then the types of people that wind up at the end that that is actually the question we've been trying to answer since this thing started like way back in the day uh this is going to be purely anecdotal so again take it with a grain of salt um but in in my experience uh with the students that i've that i've worked with um, like I said, uh, older individuals, more mature tend to do a lot better. Cause they, you know, when we're young and we're dumb, you know, 18, 19 years old, well, not you. Cause you know, you got your, your doctorate when you're 22 or whatever. Uh, but for, you know, the regular I was full of piss and vinegar once. Yeah. 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 For us, for us, regular Joe Schmoes that, you know, are, are in the military. Um, the younger guys tend to not really grasp the magnitude of the situation where the older guys that have kind of lived life a little bit, I'm not talking like 31, 32, even though we do have some older individuals come through, that's like dinosaur years in the military. 
uh, yeah, older guys in, in quotations, um, they, uh, they understand how to take care of themselves their their body physically is just more mature. Mm. Um, and so and I, I would say, I would say people that have been involved in team sports, because mm. uh, again, like uh, individual performance matters, but at the same time, you're only, I mean, this, this, the old age, old, you know, old adage, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Like that could not be more true here. Cause if there's one guy falling behind, everybody's falling behind and y'all get smoked for him anyways. Um, but uh, I would say guys that have been, or guys and gals, cause we have females come through the pipeline now uh, that have been involved in team sports. Uh, this is again, just kind of purely observation, but I've found that people who have participated in wrestling because wrestling sucks huh. do very, very well. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why I, I just personally, I remember wrestling practice being the hardest thing I've ever done to this day. So I feel like that might have a little bit to do with it because you still have that team aspect, but you're going to get your butt kicked out on the mat if you don't do what you're supposed to do right. in front of everybody. Um, but yeah, I would say older individuals and people that have been involved in team sports and then uh, those that have uh, a little bit older of a training age, because man, believe it or not, some of these guys are less or maybe a year in training age, sometimes less. Like really? they literally were just like, this they will be cool. cool. They saw this super sweet <laughs> commercial or they've been, they've been, you know, rocking and rocking that, a lot of, that call, call of duty. duty they're like i could do this man i could get that kill streak and they get here and they're just like yeah what did i sign up for so yeah i would say yeah a little bit older a little bit more life experience team sports uh i think that stuff kind of helps in a higher training age like if they've if and i've also kind of seen like just doing stuff, right? It doesn't have to be specific. Just doing things growing up, like where um, some people, they just, they didn't move a lot when they were kids. And that kind of translated sure. into like from adolescence to their teen years to now being a young adult, like they didn't move much. And you can tell, like you can definitely tell that there's, they just don't have the load need. They didn't have the foundation. They don't have those like um, complex motor skills of yes. movement variation and just like being mm -hmm. able to adapt yep. to different scenarios. I got you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I used to have a different view of like injury in the military. Right. And, and you used mm -hmm. to talk to me about, and I've seen like, you know, I've, I've done some shadowing for the combat control trainees um, down at Keesler air force base when, you know, we would go at four 30 in the morning and there would just be a line of, like these scary looking guys with tattoos in their silkies, just waiting to get <clears> taped up or, you know, ready for the day to carry rocks around for nine hours. Oh, yeah. But Rocks haven't um, died yet. We still got those. You still got rocks with, <laughs> oh, with yeah. paint all over them. Yep. Everybody's got rocks. Um, <laughs> um, and like, I, I, I used to think that maybe it was a good idea to, make the pipeline easier or maybe make it longer to try and improve the retention rate. Um, and now I'm not so certain. It, and it's, it seems like an ethical dilemma almost that mm. you're getting people that are being selected out due to injury or being selected out due to an inability to come back or recoup from that thing that took them out, whether that be a bone stress injury or, you know, a dislocation or a fracture or really anything, um, uh, you know, and, now that we've talked about it at length more, I, I realize that it might be better 
for the like for the mission, right? The the mm-hmm. overall mission, or or for the people that are on that mission and trusting in one another, that we kind of select for those people that aren't going to become injured or who aren't going to, you know, do whatever that doesn't need to happen during that time. You know what I mean? Um, and so my, I've definitely updated my ideas about that selection process because it would really not be good if, you know, if I were to make it through, right. <laughs> I think if you made it through, we'd be just fine mentally and physically. You'd yeah. Right. Out. As long as I have this mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Mustache. I mean, that'll at least get you through assessment and selection. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so like what sort of rehab things like, and I, and I, I know you already talked about like making modifications to the strength and conditioning stuff and making modifications to cardiovascular, but like what sort of things happen in a rehab type, I guess, context for those guys that are, are being pulled out or whatever. <clears throat> so there's, I would say the only difference is where we start them. Cause you know, when you're working in a, in an outpatient clinic, usually depending on the therapist, of course, you're starting at the lower level stuff, just trying to build that confidence and get them moving on to more complex movements that are beneficial to them, getting stronger, getting more robust, more resilient individuals. Um, We almost start with the, with the robust movements. So it's, it's because these guys already kind of have that, that training age, they're coming to us injured, but they already have a higher training capacity where in, in a regular outpatient clinic, you're, let's be honest, you're probably not going to see that kind of training capacity. I mean, it yeah, is, I mean, if, it is. You're just, if we just these look guys, at yeah. the activity guidelines, right? Only 80% exactly. of the yeah. population where these, is... these kids, these kids right now are blowing the activity guidelines out of the water, probably too, obviously too much because that's why they're coming to see me. Right. Um, but I would say, so with our bone stress injuries, we've, we found, uh, research and stuff to be helpful, like with, with, uh, blood flow restrictions. So still being able to, uh, it's, I, I talked to, I talked to actually, it was interesting. The person that interviewed me for the Baylor program, she had talked about, uh, two, two different pools of candidates for blood flow restriction. You've got one, they're used to that, like really hard workout, like that, that feeling of just kind of being taxed when you're done it's great for them because they still get that feeling. So psychologically, they're like, yeah, I got a good workout in physiologically. You're still getting, um, the benefits of, you know, working at a lower percentage of your one RM whilst like, so to maintain, right. You're maintaining that muscle hypertrophy, maybe building upon it a little bit, not really increasing strength much, but you still have that foundation for when we pull these guys from their weight bearing restrictions, we can progress faster through uh their weight bearing protocols their rucks their runs and everything so that we can get them back to the fight sooner trying to limit how far they fall exactly yeah yeah minimizing that gap uh between rehab and then getting back into training and then there's the other same i mean it applies to us as well there's that other pool where i mean some of these guys are just not used to they're not used to that burn right like you're going through a maybe say a higher rep or whatever you're you're strenuously pushing yourself and yeah not for me high reps anything anything about six is cardio uh but, uh, but they're, they're just not used to that suck, right. The suck factor. So they start to get scared and they'll, they'll kind of they'll pull off just before that point because they're not familiar with it. So I do find on that side, uh, these students benefit from blood flow restriction because it does suck. It is miserable. It's not comfortable at all. I don't even know if you've tried it before, but it's I have, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. So they kind of get used to pushing themselves past that point of just like, man, this, this is not fun. 
So I think it helps them as well. But then again, you also get that maintenance of work capacity. Um, so that when we start them, um, they're, they're kind they're not, they're not starting from as we're just, again, minimizing that gap. So for those guys, it's, it doesn't look a whole lot different. I just think we start at a different part of the spectrum. So we, we would probably start a little bit further forward with, with these students and with most of the instructors and some of the staff. So staff would kind of be more regular outpatient therapy, right? Just kind of getting them just, Hey, meet those activity guidelines, you know, educate them on what they can be doing to help themselves, uh, live better and, and move better and just, you know, be a more robust human being. Um, and then with our students, it's, it's, it's almost like, honestly, we almost have to tell these guys to chill out. Like, Hey man, you're sure. doing too much. Let's, let's, let's pull the reins on this and let's, let's focus on some things you need to focus on, but let's really, really, that's probably my biggest job is to tell them to chill out so that we can deload them because they'll do anything. Like you want to talk about HEP over compliance, which has never been heard of. I'm sure probably first, <laughs> right. You probably want to coin that term first time hearing it here. Got it. Um, you heard it here these, first. Yeah. You heard it here first. These guys will, they'll do their, their home exercise program until they're blue in the face. It's yeah. insane. Just because just they want to get back into course. So I think that would probably be the biggest difference is just where we start them. But other than that rehab, I mean, it's kind of the same. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I know that in the past when I've worked with people that are my, my brief stand with people that are going through this special warfare pipeline, they do not want to tell anybody that they have an issue. So like what, what sort of relationship do you have to build with these students so that they can feel comfortable just coming to, to physical therapy? It's, it's hard. That's that you got to play that balance game. Cause you don't want to be, you don't want to be the good guy or the nice guy all the time. Right. Cause I mean, it, it these students will not benefit from them coming to you with a serious injury and be like, Oh, you know, you'll, you'll be fine. Like you don't want to disappoint them. Right. By pulling them from course. So you kind of have to play the bad guy in that role sometimes, but going back to educating the student, like, let them know, Hey, this is what's going on. Cause these guys are smart. Like a lot of them come in pretty well read as far as like strength and conditioning and um, what they know about just the human body itself. A lot of these guys, I mean, you can't BS them because they'll call you out on it or they'll just be like, yeah, well, or they're just very inquisitive. Like, well, I heard this. So you, you have to do a little bit of myth busting every now and then a lot actually. Uh, but the biggest thing I think is just educating them and letting them know that we're here to keep them in course. So if they report the, the earlier they report, like I said, like uh, back with the BMT stuff, that first four weeks, they probably did it to themselves before they came in that last four weeks and beyond is something that we did to give them that bone stress injury because of the load incurred. So the, the sooner they come to see us for an injury, the better off they're going to be. So there's, it's kind of a double-edged sword when we educate them on things like that, because you'll get one side of the spectrum where the student with DOMS comes into the, you know, the, the clinic, like, Oh man, my muscles just, Oh, it hurts so bad. Oh, what's wrong with me, doc? Like, hurts in my muscles, coach. Yeah. yeah. It's like, dude, you got DOMS, get out of my face. Just go, you know, <laughs> go walk around a little bit or something, drink more water. I don't know. You'd be fine. And then of course you've got the other end of the spectrum where these, this kid comes in hobbling and you know, he's got a grade four Bravo stress fracture in his freaking femur. The thing's about to snap if he you right. know, picks up a 25 pound weight. So I think the biggest thing is just reinforce, come in to see us early. Like earlier, the better, the more acute it is, the quicker we can get you back on your feet. Cause if, if it's an acute injury, 
We can deload you for a couple of days at most, depending on what it is, of course, and then push you right back into course. Or we can just modify the training that they're doing. Like at, at the SWIC, the candidate course, we have that luxury of modifying their training so they remain in course with their team and can push through uh, as if they were to just, you know, keep their mouth shut. It just gets a little worse, little worse, little worse, little worse. And then by week six, they got to take their CFT for their final, their final test for to get into ANS. And they're like, Oh, well doc, I got this and I got that and blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, you don't understand. Like if you had to come to us sooner, like we said, right. You'd be able to, to modify. But I think that's the biggest thing is just try and get them to come in early and often I mean, even if it's something annoying, we can at least give them peace of mind. Like, hey, dude, it's just this. Go do this. Because we we have classes that we teach them for like injury prevention or mitigation, I guess. Um, And so they kind of use that information and we just try to educate these guys as best we can. I think that's the biggest thing is just educate them. Sure. Uh, And CFT is a combat fitness test. Correct. Yeah. So once, so that's, uh, I think it's eight events. events. Anyways, it's kind of irrelevant, but that's there. But they, to, to kind of go back onto like the just waiting it out and gets a little bit worse, right? You can't just wait for two years, right? That mm-hmm. would be, so, so like how long is that, like to, to use your own words, like physical beat down in that two-year pipeline? Is it the whole, whole time? There's, there's going to be brief like pauses in training where they're, when they're with us, it's not really a beat down, but when they're in, so special warfare candidate course are kind of building that foundation for assessment and selection. So that's the preparatory course for assessment and selection. When they come out of assessment and selection, they go into pre-dive. So pre-dive is again, building that foundation to go to dive school. So there's a little bit of a, it's physically strenuous, but it's not to the point to where they're overtraining every single day and just getting injured. So it's almost when they're with us, we can train them and prepare them for whatever's next, whatever's next. So your dive school, your seer, your free fall, airborne, uh, uh, combat controller selection, um, TAC P three level, TAC P five level, not so bad, but that so, that's, that's the beat down, yeah. but it's, it's kind of like, it kind of, it's like a, almost like a it's not really, I, I would say it's almost like linear periodization. So we have, we have like preseason and then season, preseason, season, preseason, season. Sure. I got you. Um, and so, so you have Medina, Medina, right? We we'll call it Chapman now. They, they Chap- just changed the name like six months ago. Sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. Sorry guys. Yeah. Yeah. RIP Medina. Um, yeah. So you guys are only in one part of the pipeline, right? It's not like you don't follow them through the whole thing. Um, and at, you guys are actually at the beginning, so you have a, a good chance to set that kind of anchor them with uh, that good education as well. Mm-hmm. Do you find that the therapists or the, the rehab team, I don't even know if you know this, but throughout the rest of the locations that they're sent to, the, do they have a similar like culture and team that you guys do? They do. Yeah. So uh, we are you we guys get, are you getting get like to, we get to see them almost through the entire life of the training pipeline they just work with different providers so we okay we work across six different operating units so we have had a pt at yuma who's part of the human performance squadron um and then we have uh we have a strength coach an athletic trainer and a p ot ot or pt at kirtland which is where pju is the pararescueman that's where they do their 
and or like their final skills training and get their beret. Uh, we have another team. We have a similar team at Pope Air Force Base where they do combat controller selection. Um, we have a similar team at pre-dive. Um, I would say here's just the biggest or the, the largest concentration of human performance and operational medicine yeah. uh, professionals. Um, we're getting better at closing the loop, that feedback loop, where before it was just like, they would leave Chapman and then we'd never hear from them again until they like showed up with a beret. We're like, Oh, Hey, cool. Good job, man. Give them a high five. And then they're gone forever. Right. In the wind. <laughs> Cause they, you know, they're operators and we can't ever see them again. Um, right. But I would say it's better about closing the loop um, and the teams are similar. And that's, that's kind of what we've been trying to do for the past four years since I've been here is just get everybody on the same page, which is, we've done a, a, a good job of it. And I think it's, we're taking steps in the right direction for sure. Sure. Do you, I, I, I know that we were talking about this before we started recording, but I do feel that you guys, what you do is like the, like the, the highest level of using your abilities as like an allied health or rehab medicine practitioner for like the, the patient, the patients that you see, how, how do you think that the rest of the population of like rehab clinicians could apply some of the stuff that you guys do for everybody else. That's a, it's a loaded question there, sir. <laughs> maybe, maybe um, like yeah. top. No. Yeah. One uh, weird I trick. would say, yeah, my, my, my top three tricks. Right. Yeah. Um, again, I think, I mean, as, as we all know, boiling down to, to, education, right? Educating your patients the best that you can give, arm them with the knowledge that's most current, most up-to-date, most evidence-based as you can. Um, and then, and I had a good one and I just lost it. Uh, the narrative, right? The narrative that you build around, uh, these experiences that they have, right? Same thing for me, you know, with these students, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've just been pulled from course and their, their whole world has come crashing down, right? They're like, oh my God, I've been pulled from course the, the nasty reclass man is going to come and get me. I'm going to be pushed off into big blue and become a maintainer the rest of my life. No offense <laughs> to maintainers. Please don't take that seriously. <laughs> uh, it's, but you know, I mean, these guys, they, they have everything, their entire, the whole fiber of their being invested into becoming a special warfare operator. And I mean, it's a very, very small, like, I think, I think our pass rate is still like 25% of students that come through and we pump out a lot of students at, I mean, and, and range 25% get selected. So, um, but educate this, educate the patients slash students, uh, build a good narrative and don't, don't promote fear. I think that's the sure. biggest thing is, is try to help guide your patient, guide the students through what it is they're experiencing and let them know it's going to be all right. Like, yes, I understand. And you know, these things are multifactorial. You got so many different factors that play into, what it is they're experiencing. Um, and I, I'm going to steal this one from Captain Garrido. He's my supervisor and uh, resident badass PT. Well, he's at the 22-6 now. But uh, don't be afraid to get strong. I think, mm. I think those are the three things I would say. All right. Educate them. Don't build a negative narrative. And don't be afraid to get strong. I like it. Ones. It's uh, it's funny. The I know that, again, you guys are in a, almost like a squeeze of – ability to have time with rehab. And so again, in my experience, in my limited experience with the, the high speed, low drag patient population, there's a, 
there's almost a desire to get quick symptom modification to try right. and get them back out mm-hmm. doing things that might might be more harboring those narratives that we're trying to avoid like how do you do you see that happening and how do you like manage that in the world of like really not having enough time to to do long-term stuff yeah i think yeah that's definitely that's probably the achilles heel of this whole of this whole thing is is the limited time that we have um and some i mean really sometimes the things that the best thing we can do for these students is as much as it pains me to say is a bandaid over a bullet hole. Like what can we do to get this guy through the next, like take assessment selection, for example, this guy's through day 12, he's got four left. He's got that big X fill, you know, the big event at the end. What can we do to get this guy to hobble through training through this course so that when he's done, he can get selected. We can pull him and keep him out of pre-dive until he's, you know, back up to snuff and ready to go into pre-dive. So I think, in those instances where they're, they're in training and, and they're, they're, you know, right there before the finish line, that final lap, uh, we kind of have to pull, pull some tricks out of the bag. You know, that magical toolbox, everybody says us PTs have that, that voodoo magic. Um, but, uh, I would say we, I feel like we do a very good job of managing expectations. I think, I think when, when it comes down to it, we'll, we'll, if, if it's safe for these students to train and it's not going to be detrimental to their health, we'll keep them in training and we'll do what we can to keep them in training. But when safety becomes an issue, uh, we'll pull them regardless. Um, we won't, we won't mess with that. Cause I mean, we really like this. It's dangerous. I mean, we've, we've, uh, again, like I told you, these guys are, are, are sleep deprived, nutrition deficient, um, they're training in extreme cold or Texas, extreme heat, you know, these, the, all, all of these, it's funny. You look at all of these risk factors for say a heat stroke or for hyperthermia, they hit every single one because of the stuff that we put them through. So when it comes to the safety of the student, that definitely takes precedence. Um, but if we can get them through training safely, I do know that our medical providers, PTs, MDs, ATs, strength coaches, the whole instructors included, uh, try to get these students through as best they can. I don't know if that answered your question or not, but yeah. 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 Um, and then I think the last thing I want to know is about kind of fitting the form as much as I would hate to kind of say that you have to fit the form of being like a special operator or special warfare type person, but you know, I, I don't run, yeah. you know, and, and I feel like I would have difficult, like for, for the people that I know that you work with your, yourself included. And, and that includes you. And I think Josh is his name, right? Justin, Justin. Oh, just Justin. Yeah. Like you get, Monster. like you guys are elite level fitnessers. You know what I mean? Um, we, we does that, okay. We do. Right. All right. <laughs> do, do you think somebody who wasn't all right at fitnessing would fit in with the population, the patient population that you see. I it's, so I think that's one of those things where buy again, buy-in is very important with these guys, uh, students and staff. So the, the instructors as well. Um, it's very much, it's very, yeah, it's very, it's very they're, hard they're, sell. They're kind of, yeah, you got it. You have to sell yourself. You almost have to sell yourself. And if you can't do it, 
through physical prowess, you better know what you're talking about as far as, you know, uh, being well-educated in your profession. Um, cause I mean, let's be honest, like, like, I mean, just looking at we're gen pop, right? Everybody here working with, with these special warfare guys were gen pop. And we know that very, very small percentage meets those physical activity guidelines. Um, so I think, I think looking the part, walking the walk, I guess. Yeah. Walking the walk and to be able to talk the talk helps a lot. So if you look the part, you kind of already get that in, but if you get that in and they realize you're full of doo-doo, you're, <laughs> you're screwed. First impressions are everything with these guys. So if you students and instructors alike, cause we, I mean, we take care of the instructors too. This is almost kind of a, of a, of a recovery phase for them. Again, their, their mission is pretty strenuous here as well, but as far as meeting the mission on the air force side, not in the training side, it's kind of their downtime to kind of get more time with their family, recover from some injuries that they've incurred while deploying at their high tempo. Um, but it's definitely, it helps being, being able to, I would say, keep up. If you can keep up, sure. you don't have to be, you know, front of the pack. You don't have to be, you don't have to have, you know, a 1500 pound total, you know, bench squat dead. It'd be nice. Right. right. We, all, we all wish uh, we all can't be like Justin. Um, but if they see you struggling yeah, to, to bring but, that kettlebell over to them, they're going to be like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you can't, if you going can't on at here? least appropriately demonstrate what it is you're asking them to do, your job here is going to be significantly harder. And, and it's, it's definitely, again, another like tough topic. Like, do, do we really need to be in shape to give good advice? And, and I think no, but I do think that there's a certain kind of image that yeah. as a medical provider, as a healthcare provider, it would help at the very least. Yeah. Uh, uh, but again, I know that I don't, I would, would hate to really like get on here and, you know, crap on people who X, Y, Z, and I don't want to, but it's, I, I think at the very least in that setting would be pertinent, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that you guys do a great job because you train all the time, you know, Mm-hmm. shout out to your yeah, home they, gym and, which and is that's fantastic thing. yeah thanks yeah <laughs> oh, thank, thanks to uh, thanks to my wife for that one she helped fund it <laughs> um no i yeah i think i think you're right um you just damn i just lost my train of thought that's right that. but uh you've been up you've been up all day all day dude all day <laughs> um yeah i just i think that we have the, the opportunities there. That's the thought I was going to like, get to work out at work. I do. Yes, I do. Um, wow. so during that, I know, right. Unheard of. Don't tell anybody. You'll probably ruin it for me. Probably want to <laughs> cut that part out. Uh, <laughs> no, I have fine. like 10 people listen to this. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. Two, yeah. Of, them are, two of them are my mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one will be my wife. So, um, and my family. So maybe 12, gotcha. uh, but, uh, the opportunity is there for us to, improve our fitness, improve our credibility, if you will. That's something that, oh, it's really funny. Uh, Colonel Wilson, Sean Wilson, I don't know if you've ever worked with him. He's at pre-dive now, or sorry, dive school. But whenever we were in the gym, uh, he would always, uh, he would always be like, yep, just in here, you know, uh, increasing my credibility, you know, just or, or improving my credibility, you know, he's just, sure. he's a funny dude, but just, I mean, that, I, I think that there was some, there was more truth to that than he thought. And, uh, and knowing how to modify the yeah, things that they're that's doing. That's the biggest thing. I think that, yeah, that you actually hit the nail on the head. There's um, being able to, I'd say, yeah, critical thinking skills, uh, time management, being able to progress and regress exercises based on what the students can do, especially for me, having these guys be hurt, 
a lot of the times I'm seeing the same injuries, but then you've got these, like, sure, they have bone stress injuries, but then they've got like this nagging low back pain or they've got, oh my God, dude, IT band pain out the wazoo. That is the worst one. I was like, dude, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's so hard, but just, you know, then they'll have these nagging, nagging injuries that they can now take care of. So being able to modify exercises so that again, going back to maintaining that work capacity and that, that load um, so that they can perform well in course. Cause they, they're not going to get uh, a buffer period going into training. They're they're for lack of a better term, they're probably going to get kicked right in the private parts as soon as they start course again. So sure. they need to be ready for that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have any more. I have one more question that's um, is is going to be totally personal preference. Is this, your, is this um, your random question at the end of the podcast? No, not yet. Oh, God, geez. I'm still All thinking right. of it, actually. Okay. Um, no. Right. Uh, from your from your perspective with the uh, – so list them off. We have TAC, P, PJs, mm-hmm. what um, – Combat controllers. Combat controllers. And what was the last special one? recon special recon? Yep. Uh, in the air force in the air right? force. Correct. Yeah. That's just the air force air force special operations. The coolest. Ooh, man. So if I could do it again and I was younger. The one that I hear the most is PJs for sure. They're like, Oh, they're like, See, that's the thing. Special operator. Doctors. They marketed themselves very well. Yeah. I personally, I would be a controller. Okay. Because I got a couple of buddies. Uh, one of them happens to be, you know, the combat controller of the universe. I'll make sure he listens to this so he laughs about that. <laughs> uh, combat controller of the universe. Um, I've just had him tell me some stories. And then some of the retired guys, uh, the coaches that we work with and controllers do some cool stuff. And they're, they're the one, they're always in the special tactics units. So those have the highest tempo. Uh, they go on the most missions. They, they're, they're mission set is very vast so they're force multipliers for the seals for the delta force guys for uh your tier one like high level tier operators um they get to go do some cool like trainings they yeah they do some cool stuff if if i yeah i would say combat controllers for sure no offense to all my other friends that are pjs tac you hear that tac p you could i know right (laughs) yeah no yeah but i would say coolest dudes like most down to earth my homies at the 353 the tac p guys those guys are awesome because when i got here to san antonio i had zero friends and they were nice enough to let me in this uh this brotherhood so i appreciate thank you 353 yeah they did not make this a miserable experience for me so coolest job combat control coolest dudes tac p for sure yeah yeah cool um all right let's think of the last question that i think the only question that would pertain to this would be do you have your own rock i you know what i don't blast what the heck right i know and the rock is just for it's literally just for carrying around yeah so there's there's a describe describe rocks to people here if they've never seen a rock before so so if you've never seen a rock it's this this small object that usually comes out of the ground sometimes Um, Sometimes, right? Sometimes falls out of the sky, you know, uh, very hard. I would not suggest dropping it on your foot. Right. No, but anyway, so they have these rocks. Uh, they'll paint them up. Usually they'll do it with, uh, like, uh, as a tribute to a fallen, uh, a fallen airman, right? So combat controllers will paint it up for one of their fallen PJ, same thing, TAC PSR. Um, so they will 
and they'll carry that rock with them literally everywhere they go. So to the chow hall, to training, to class, I mean, and, and if they don't have it, it needs to be secured. Cause if you get it taken from you, that's, that's not good. And there will be punishment. Um, so these rocks, I think it's, it's more of that. I'm trying to think of how I could word this. It's like they're. So like, uh, when you get an egg or a sack yeah, of flour as like, a baby. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like the egg when you're in that one class that, you know, teaches how to be a parent or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like that. So like you, you have to, like, if it gets taken from you or you like, you can't keep it on the ground, it has to be off the ground. Right. Huh. Can't be on the ground. Um, and it has to go with you everywhere. Um, it's kind of like, I wish Neely was here to explain. Is it there like a size? Here, Is there a size requirement? Um, not, I mean, they're pretty solid. I mean, they're probably- I just get like a, one that fit in my pocket with like a smiley face painted. I on wish, it. man. Most of them are like the size of my head or bigger, and I don't have. A oh god, head, that's so. huge. Yeah. yeah, they're monsters. Like they're probably like ten to. They're enough to where they'll be annoying to carry around, right? Yeah. So you don't have a rock. Like, no, no rock. It's more of a stone I, at I that think, point. I know. I think. I think uh, my task for Delta Flight on Monday is to paint me a rock. All right, I'll let's carry go. It with me everywhere <laughs> I go. Yeah. Um, I'll leave it up to. Actually, you know what? I know the student that will do it. He was on my team previously and now he's in course, but I'll make him do it. He'll do all it right, in buddy. Like two hours. Don't screw it up. Yeah. Um, any any final words or thoughts before we end here? Well, if any of my fellow 4Js should listen to this, which I hope they will, because I'll I'll share it, you know, put put the put the feelers out there. Uh, if they have any questions please feel free to look me up on global. I'm dot 100. I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to give you my entire email. That's weird. <laughs> but yes, dot 100 uh, at us.af.mil. Let's figure out the rest. I guess I just gave it whatever. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so if anybody is curious about the special warfare stuff, my time here is coming to a close. Like I said, I'm hoping that I can get into the Army Baylor DPT program. Call the president. You're going to get it. Okay, perfect. Good. Because if Joe, uh, like I said, this is the endorsement I needed. So yeah, that's really the only reason why I did this podcast um so, yeah reach out i'm feel uh, i'm i'll answer any questions you got do cool. my best yeah usually at this point i say <clears throat> you know where can the people find you but you're twitterless instagramless facebookless i, I am i am free one of from the weirdos i'm one of those weirdos that scoff at people that have social media I was like wow so pedestrian i know i'm that no pedestrian. In, all, in, all, me. in all in all fairness i i did for a while but it, it became too much of a distraction for me from school sure. uh like I said, you got to do it the old fashioned way. You got to call me or new fashioned way. Text if me, shoot me if, an email. If anybody <clears throat> wants to tell text Sergeant Ryan Smith, anything, they'll slide into my DMS and I'll text it. I'll text yep. it to him. Slide in those DMS. You can hit, you can hit me up. I'm, well, thanks I'm for coming on, man. Available. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I no problem. It, Veterans day episode. That's what I'll name oh, this yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank I you, sir. Thank you for your service and protecting my freedoms at night. You're welcome for my service. Uh, we'll have to have you back on at some point. Yeah, man. Hopefully, uh, you know, when I'm a student uh, or maybe a full-fledged PT. Well, yeah. So, um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah.